This podcast was recorded before a live telephone audience. This is Open Line with Michelle Naranjo and Chelsea Sexton, episode 4 for September 2011, turning oil into salt. You can watch and participate live on the first Tuesday of every month at AutolineDetroit.tv. Open Line starts at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific. Join in on the call at any time by dialing 1-712-432-0900 and enter PIN 911-633. Well, welcome to Open Line. This is our monthly automotive get-together. I am Michelle Naranjo from autobydell.com, and I am joined by Chelsea Sexton from ChelseaSexton.com, and our very special guest this week is Jim Woolsey, former director of the CIA, who has a very special interest in the automotive industry, and he comes to us via Chelsea. They're friends from the way back days of that 2006 movie, Who Killed the Electric Car? So, Chelsea, I'm going to let you tell everyone a little bit about more Jim, and then, you know... Jim can tell us more about himself, uh, too. Chelsea, <laughs> be careful, all right? <laughs> no promises. Uh, no, uh, Jim has been a really fantastic um, advocate for all fuel. And so, um, every, you know, you can Google his official stuff, but, but I'm more interested and think that the car stuff is more fun. So I'm actually going to let you speak for yourself, Jim, on uh, what kind of cars you like and why. <laughs> well, I like anything that doesn't run on oil, um, and uh, uh, I drive right now a, uh, a Prius uh, that's been converted to be a plug-in, so I get about uh, 25 miles uh, a day on that before I have to shift over to gasoline. I wish it were a flexible fuel vehicle, because then I'd be only shifting over to 15% gasoline. Um, I have, uh, I drove, uh, last winter for a few months, courtesy of General Motors, uh, sort of like Chelsea does on an advisory uh, board for them. I, uh, I drove a, uh, a Volt for about three months, and it was great, and I've ordered one to purchase. It's, uh, just uh, been built, and I'll pick it up in another couple or three weeks, I think. Um. And uh, the my only uh, 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 wish about the converted Prius and about uh, the Volt is that they were flexible fuel vehicles. Um, I don't um, care hugely about whether or not it's uh, an FFV that can drive on not only gasoline but also ethanol or methanol, but I think it would be good uh, to be able to drive on methanol since it's made from, in this country, largely natural gas. Uh, you can make it from wood chips. Uh, you can make it from coal. You can make it from a lot of things. But um, uh, to be able to drive on uh, anything uh, that gets uh, about uh, 30 or 40 miles, as the Volt does, on electricity before you shift to a liquid fuel, and then to have that liquid fuel be 85% say methanol, uh, you're getting about 250 to 300 miles per gallon of gasoline, and that's 
terrific. Uh, I mean, anything that makes uh, OPEC unhappy uh, should make us happy. And uh, uh, that would be a uh, move absolutely in the right direction. Yeah, I hear you think that if we all do our jobs right, some other folks are going to have to go find some other jobs. We're going to have to find what? Other jobs, you know, real work. Yeah, well, I mean, look, if we shift from producing gasoline to producing methanol, which is wood alcohol, a lot of it's going to be done in the same facilities. It's going to be done in some of the same uh, 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 refineries that uh, gasoline is produced. It's just that uh, driving on 85% methanol is a lot cleaner than driving on gasoline. You're not uh, uh, emitting uh, any of the uh, aromatics, uh, such as benzene, that are highly carcinogenic. Um uh, you're uh, uh, driving on uh, basically from its feedstock uh, a, a liquid that is uh, produced from things that we produce here in the United States, namely natural gas. Now, I know that hydrofracturing is not completely uh, free from controversy. Um, it's uh, been done for 500, I'm sorry, for 50 years in my part of the country, uh, Oklahoma, uh, but uh, the geology makes it a bit harder to drill disposal wells down in Texas and Oklahoma than it is in places like Pennsylvania. So one wants to make sure that uh, that hydrofracturing is done in a way that produces natural gas in an environmentally uh, sound way. But if you can produce natural gas for systematically four or five dollars a million BTUs, um, you can uh, use that to produce methanol uh, very, uh, very affordably. Uh, methanol, uh, which cars can drive on just fine, uh, goes for about a dollar ten a gallon these days, and it's got about half the. Uh, uh, energy of gasoline, so say that's the equivalent of about two and a quarter uh, a gallon gasoline. But most parts of the country, gasoline's a lot more than two and a quarter. It's more like three fifty. Uh, so even today, methanol would be a huge improvement uh, for the liquid part of uh, of fuel uh, consumption. Uh, compared to uh, gasoline. Uh, and uh, uh, if you had a combination of electricity in plugged-in hybrids, and then when you run out of the electricity using uh, uh, methanol, M85, um, we would, uh, in environmental terms and national security terms and all terms, we'd be an awful lot better off than we are now. Yeah, I think we're agreed on that. So you've had quite a few different perspectives, several administrations, some hands and feet in the venture capital world. What, what, from your perspective, what's the best way to drive this forward? Um, I think that uh, the key thing is to make sure that the hydrofracturing can be done in an environmentally sound way. And one of the things I'm in the venture capital business now one of the things I look at is companies 
that uh, can clean up uh, water that's been used for hydrofracturing and do so thoroughly and affordably. Um, uh, you know, hydrofracturing or fracking wells, sometimes there'll be five, six, eight, even ten of them at a small site well under an acre. Um, and uh, so if you have the right kind of technology, you can use the water to blast down into the gas shale. And as it comes back up, you can clean it up, but clean it up only as much as you need to for the next fracking well, which would be from the same, essentially, one acre. And, and you can do that five, six, seven, eight, ten times. Then finally, clean up the water very well and very thoroughly uh, before it's released uh, into anything, uh, a, 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 you know, a, a separate well or a stream or anything else. But um, there, there are technologies that are, people are pursuing that can let you do that. And, and uh, uh, we really need to have a cooperative effort between the environmental community uh, and uh, uh, and the natural gas industry to make it possible for us to shift from oil and uh, and coal toward renewables and toward natural gas uh, because natural gas isn't perfect it emits uh, uh, some carbon dioxide but almost no other pollutants. Uh, and uh, if we can uh, make it possible to drive on methanol that comes from cleanly produced natural gas uh, together with electricity that comes from cleanly produced electricity, uh, let's say renewables, um, we will make a huge step in the right direction, both in terms of climate change and in terms of our national security and uh, avoiding uh, dependence on uh, oil. We have a couple of comments in the chat room, Jim. Um, one user says, um, but it's not just water that's being injected into the gas shale. It's a mixture of chemicals, which eventually, which until very recently actually included highly toxic things such as diesel fuel and fe federal regulation for fracking has not kept in pace with its development. Another user has said um, he loves his solar no matter how clean they try to make fracking. Natural gas is also a fossil fuel and will eventually run out. Well, the, the second statement is uh, a, a statement of, uh, of uh, total commitment, and that's fine. I understand that. But if we moved toward an economy that was operating on a combination of natural gas and renewables rather than uh, coal and nuclear, which, I mean, nuclear is not a problem in day-to-day -day operations, but if something goes wrong, as uh, the Japanese experience at Fukushima has shown, it can be a huge problem. So since the, the country needs electricity, uh, it's an awful lot better, I think, to evolve toward natural gas and renewables than to stay with coal and uh, uh, nuclear power. Um, I think the first comment is, is right, um, that, that some of the early hydrofracturing in the course of recent years has included blasting down into uh, the uh, the uh, gas shale uh, 
liquids that have included uh, things that uh, we wouldn't want there, like diesel fuel. But there are uh, possible substitutes. There are ways to go about this. The natural gas companies uh, need to to disclose uh, what they are using in the hydrofracturing, and they need to work with the environmental community and the government to uh, make it possible for hydrofracturing uh, to be done in a reasonable and clean way. Look, I grew up in Oklahoma, and I was born there, and uh, there have been approximately 4 million oil and gas wells drilled in the history of the world. Three million of them, approximately, have been drilled in Texas and Oklahoma. 750,000 of those have been hydrofractured. Hydrofracturing fracking goes back half a century or more. What's different is that to use hydrofracturing on today's uh, natural gas shale uh, uh, formations requires some special attention into making sure that you 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 don't uh, leave behind when you do it a water that has impurities in it. Uh, but but people have a lot of experience in in hydrofracturing wells, uh, and if you know what you're doing and you don't just kind of strike forth as a brand new you know, dude in the in the fracking world, if you if you pay attention to the history and the experience uh, that a lot of uh, companies and individuals have had, I think this can be done in a reasonable fashion. And people who are interested in in renewables ought to think that's a good thing, not a bad thing, because the sun doesn't shine at night, and much of the wind that's blown at night doesn't blow in the daytime. So you have peaks and valleys of production of renewable electricity, and and those peaks and valleys can be firmed or filled, in, in a sense, uh, by the operation of natural gas plants for a time. Now, as time goes on, we may find that natural gas plants become biogas plants, and we can use renewables even more, but to um, to... Uh, try to keep natural gas from being used at all in hydrofracturing, I think is very short-sighted. Uh, hydrofracturing of natural gas is a, a pretty good partner if they do it right uh, for renewables uh, in uh, producing electricity and uh, in some ways uh, producing fuel for vehicles. So one of the challenges of, of getting consumers to switch is, that the notion of fracking doesn't get them all that exciting unless it's a, a unless it's a euphemism for something else, really. But we've had some good experience with electric cars, and I know you have had some good experience with electric cars, including getting one little company funded after a certain test drive. Oh, my goodness. What company was that, Chelsea? <laughs> well, I, I, I love electric cars. As I said, I, I drive a Prius that's been converted to be a plug-in Prius, and I'm about to pick up my, my Chevy Volt. What Chelsea is referring to is several years ago, um, uh, she and I met because she and her husband came to talk to me after I'd given a speech, 
and they said that I was uh, had given an in- made some interesting remarks about batteries, but I was too pessimistic. And I said, "Well, uh, fine. Uh, I'm glad to uh, learn more." And and Chelsea took me to what at that point was uh, a small garage uh, in San Carlos, uh, California, uh, with uh, just three or four people in it and a little prototype. It was Tesla. And uh, I uh, was asked if I wanted to do a test drive, and I did. And I was at a stoplight in uh, San Carlos when a, a young gentleman pulled up next to me uh, uh, in a Corvette. And he looked over and he saw me and the CEO, these two older guys, in this funny little thing that looked uh, sort of like a baby lotus uh, with no paint on it and was completely silent. And he gunned his motor. And I asked the CEO, Martin, I said, Martin, uh, what do you think? I haven't drag raced since high school. And he said, oh, I'll take him. And uh, the light changed. I floored it. And, of course, the Tesla goes from 0 to 60 in 3.7, 3.8 seconds. Uh, and we just blew him away. I, I, I couldn't see his eyes in the rearview mirror as I pulled away from him because he was back on the horizon. <laughs> and I uh, <laughs> I went back to the, the vantage point where I was, a, was an advisor at the time and suggested strongly that they look into this. And they did. And... And they, the, the history is that Tesla did very well and its IPO and so on. Um, but uh, uh, I, uh, I think that the combination of electricity and renewable fuels uh, uh, is, is something that can move us off gasoline and petroleum very quickly. Now, even if those renewable fuels are derived, as methanol probably would be in this country, uh, from natural gas. That's still a lot better than deriving the liquid fuel you're driving on uh, from petroleum. Um, and uh, it, uh, it uh, creates a real uh, possibility of moving as the years go on from producing natural gas from I'm producing gas and electricity from natural gas to uh, uh, producing it from biogas. So there is a path uh, from natural gas uh, uh, as a source of methanol to um, having uh, a renewable material like biogas, um, uh, the, the path uh, toward, uh, toward methanol. And uh, I think that that's a reasonable and useful uh, uh, direction to go and, and uh, effort to, uh, to, to work on. Interesting. You know, it's funny. I had a friend the other day email me. Uh, he got an invite from a company in the Bay Area called GEMS, G-E-M-Z, that's apparently a frequent shopper program. I don't know how successful they are. They only have 51 followers on Facebook, but they're actually doing a Tesla Model S prototype preview on the 8th, tomorrow, right? Is that tomorrow? Mm. <laughs> Which um, is kind of, you know, I, I, it woke me up. I forgot about the Model S. Mm. I didn't know about that. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't well, know. I, I mean, I, I think uh, whether you're, 
I tend to think the future lies more with uh, plug-in hybrids and uh, extended range uh, vehicles like uh, like the Volt uh, than with purely electric vehicles uh, because uh, it gives people a way reasonably to deal with their range uh, anxiety. But that liquid fuel needs be uh, something uh, that I think that is derived from material that is better than petroleum. And natural gas certainly is, but biogas would be even even more better than petroleum. Absolutely. I mean, it, it is interesting, isn't it? Because it does have the potential to do that. I, I definitely know that people have range anxiety, and the Volt does fill that very special need that people have. So, but your biodiesel, I mean, your biogas, you are, you actually are trying to convert some farm equipment, if Chelsea told me correctly? No, uh, it's pretty simple. I just have a, a an old truck, a 10-year-old truck uh, that uh, is of a generation. It's about 2,000. Uh, it's a uh, it's a Dodge Ram three-quarter ton pickup um, that is happy with a complete biodiesel. So I only use uh, in it. I use biodiesel, and I use just a little bit uh, of uh, of um, uh, regular diesel in the winter in order to uh, deal with uh, any problems of uh, cold starting. Uh, but um, you know, diesel engines are pesky and funny things, and and uh, uh, that particular vintage of uh, biodiesel, uh, uh, I mean, of, of uh, 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 engines and Dodge Rams is particularly happy uh, with uh, biodiesel. So I will be, as uh, when my bolt is uh, delivered here in another uh, couple of weeks, I will be driving a a Volt that I get about 40 miles all electric from electric charge overnight. And then uh, I have to put gasoline in. And a um, my wife be driving a, a Prius uh, that has been converted and gets 20, 25 gallons uh, before you have to put liquid fuel in it. And then around the farm, we'll be driving our uh, our uh, diesel uh, uh, three-quarter ton uh, Dodge Ram pickup truck uh, entirely on um, on biodiesel. What what I think needs to be done as soon as possible is to move toward being able to uh, have uh, 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 essentially uh, flexible fuel vehicles that when you're driving on liquid fuel, you can uh, be uh, driving on 85% ethanol or methanol. Uh, so uh, then you're really moving away from uh, from uh, uh, gasoline and uh, and diesel and from petroleum products, and you're getting something over 200 miles per gallon of gasoline or of diesel because you're driving almost entirely on electricity and on liquid fuel that's 85% non-oil-derived. Interesting. So, so Jim, what, what bumper sticker are you going to start using now? This last one uh, doesn't apply so much. That's right. I uh, the one that I've had for nearly ten years said uh, Bin Laden hates this car, and uh, so far all I've done is with a black marking pen change 
hates to hate it. So, <laughs> but that's still not very timely. I, I need to find something else. You're right, Chelsea. We'll have to work on that. Yeah. Did we get Aaron, Michelle? I'm not sure if we did or not. I think Ben's working on it. Okay. Well, in the meantime, there's a bunch of people in the chat room that are saying that uh, Limbaugh and some of those guys need a little bit of education about the vault and the merits of, of what plug-in vehicles are available if we're ever going to get off oil. So how do we do something about that? I think it's important to get people like Limbaugh and others uh, to focus on the problems for national security that are created by our dependence on oil. And it's not just foreign oil, it's oil. Uh, we have terrible health problems that are created by that, uh, benzene that is used to enhance uh, uh, our, uh, the, uh, uh, the octane in, uh, in uh, gasoline that uh, is, uh, is uh, used in cars. It's a terrible substance, extremely uh, carcinogenic. Um, and in terms of, of relying on oil, Instead of on uh, alternative fuels, whether methanol or ethanol, whether from natural gas or from corn, and in time, I hope, from, from uh, biomass, uh, if we're relying on, on oil products, uh, we are doing everything that we possibly can to help the uh, Islamists in the Middle East and the Wahhabis in Saudi Arabia and the terrorists uh, in many parts of the Middle East, we're funding them. We're paying for them. Why in the world would conservatives think it's a good idea for us to pay for the other side in this war on terrorism? It's just nuts. It is indeed. Don't you have some minions that could go help them with that? <laughs> I know you well, know people. I mean, can we just put someone on the doorstep? Uh, I don't know how to do that. I've I've never been on limbo. I'm not sure how to how to do that. But but somebody needs to make sure that that they understand that by saying just let the market operate and it's the market with its cartel that has been created by the Saudis and their buddies. We are putting ourselves completely in the hands of the Wahhabis of Saudi Arabia and the, and the terrorists that those guys pay for. I, I tell you, to give you an idea what the Wahhabi view is like, when I was chairman of the board of Freedom House a few years ago, we had a group of American Muslims come to us and say that they were really upset because the Saudis had showed up with diplomatic passports, these were imams, and they'd gotten rid of all the materials in the mosques in the U.S. that had been put together by American Muslims, and they'd substituted Saudi materials. And one good example of what's in that stuff is in the 10th grade instruction book, what 10th graders are taught in mosques in the United States, was the three ways that were acceptable to kill homosexuals. You can throw them, the Saudi materials say, from a high place, or you can stone them to death, or you can burn them alive. Now, that's the sort of stuff that is coming into 
educational institutions in the United States that are run by the Saudis and financed by the Saudis, every dollar paid for by you at the gas pump, every dollar paid for by oil dependence. That is simply crazy. It is indeed. And if I didn't know better, I'd think you're a little passionate about this. I know, right? We do have Aaron through finally. I apologize, Aaron. I think I actually double-clicked off something, and I clicked on his name, and I muted him earlier. <laughs> Aaron. Not no problem. Hi, how are you? Thank you. Um, my name is Aaron Bregman. I'm an auto analyst with uh, IHS Global Insight. I have a, a question for you. You've got a sure. lot of really great ideas in terms of uh, – basically being a proponent for all kinds of various alternative fuels and, and switching to an alternative fuel economy, what kinds of things from a government standpoint do we need to do in order to try and really move some of these kinds of programs forward? Because I really don't see a lot of this happening in the private sector unless we really see oil go crazy in terms of price. And it's you know, uh, EPA did a really good thing in March. They changed the criteria that one needs to utilize uh, to to make changes in the existing engines of existing vehicles uh, and made it a lot easier to show that you're improving emissions. Well, I think that opens up an opportunity uh, for uh, uh, for people to come up with things like this. Let's let's say you you look at uh, your engine of a flexible fuel vehicle and about 20, 25% of American cars are flex fuel and they uh, let you operate on 85% E85 ethanol uh, or on gasoline. But, you know, it'd be great if we could also open that up to M85, methanol, wood alcohol 85, which is percent, which is uh, made uh, out uh, out of uh, uh, out of natural gas usually. Yeah, in the United I, I have States. to ask you, Jim, is the M for moonshine? For no, <laughs> no, the M is for methanol. Uh, the <laughs> E would be for ethanol and moonshine. I've always told people that they should not oppose using uh, ethanol because it makes tailgate parties so much easier. All you need, uh, really, is a long straw and a lime. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, in fact, the M85 is methanol, 85% uh, methanol. And, uh, you know, if you uh, would simply require... In federal legislation, as the flex uh, fuel open standard or, or legislation does, if you would just if the country would just require that the the fuel lines be made out of a slightly better quality plastic, so you can use methanol and ethanol as well as gasoline, then you and I could do what the Brazilians can do which is drive into your filling station, look at the prices, decide on whether or not you're going to buy alcohol fuel or, or gasoline fuel, and, uh, and do it. And the Brazilians, when the price of gasoline and oil goes up, they buy more and more ethanol for them, uh, and uh, uh, they uh, can, can deal with a, a situation like that very well. We have not required 
new car company production to permit 85% methanol as well as ethanol. And if we do both, I think the methanol business would grow very quickly in the United States. It's very, very easy to produce methanol. We've done it for many, many years. It's just wood alcohol. Uh, it's uh, a perfectly reasonable fuel for uh, for vehicles. And at today, about two-thirds the cost uh, of, uh, of uh, fuel derived from petroleum. Which is more sustainable, the uh, biogas that's based on like something like algae or, the, or something that's wood-based? Well, I think that if you, if you required that vehicles be able to run on methanol, then some of that would be wood-based production and it'd be on the market. Some of it, much of it, would be natural gas produced, uh, but... Uh, uh, it would, in any case, uh, not uh, be petroleum-based. And if people chose uh, ethanol instead, right now it would be mainly from corn, but in time it's going to be uh, largely from uh, uh, from alternative uh, sources, uh, such as uh, uh, biomass. And that's fine, too. The market will sort it out. What we have now is a cartel and a monopoly that's protected by the government. The oil monopoly is protected by the government because they will not require, so far, cars to be able to be driven on methanol and ethanol. And uh, why in the world we should be in the business of protecting the cartel, the conspiracy and restraint of trade that is that is OPEC, I have no idea. Wow. And I bet you don't get invited to many Bush daughters' weddings, do you? <laughs> that, that, that hadn't been my long suit. <laughs> wow. And what about, what do you think about this? The I mean, I know that GM still has a hydrogen program out there with their, their I don't think they're consumer-based anymore, but they still have the Equinox running around out there. Yeah, hydrogen. I mean, hydrogen, it's just too big an infrastructure change. It requires so much infrastructure, uh, whereas uh, methanol is easy to ship around. Uh, it's uh, If you spill it, it just dries up. It just evaporates. Uh, it's just not a problem. Whereas hydrogen is explosive, uh, it's very uh, hard to, to establish an infrastructure for it. It's expensive. Uh, uh, methanol is easy, and uh, I, I think that's, uh, that's the heart of the matter. Well, Aaron, you're a big hydrogen fan, right? Oh, absolutely. As, as I said on the chat room, hydrogen is the fuel of the future, and it always will be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it has some. I tell you what would make hydrogen really interesting is if you develop a cheap and easy way to use photosynthesis to uh, to produce hydrogen and and, and oxygen, um, and and uh, the hydrogen is cheap and can be stored cheaply. At that point, I think what you probably use it for is to run fuel cells 
to produce electricity for your home and otherwise, and to produce electricity to charge the batteries on your electric car. Uh, but because having a mobile fuel cell and and um, and uh, vehicles that can can run on hydrogen that can carry an adequate amount of hydrogen, that's really complicated. But to maybe be able to produce hydrogen cheaply, keep it in a tank in your garage and run a, a fuel cell that'll charge the battery of your car. That's uh, more interesting, and and I think that's uh, potentially plausible. It really depends on the price, uh, how how costly it is uh, to uh, uh, produce uh, produce that to hydrogen from say something like uh, like electrolysis uh, from photosynthesis. In the transportation industry, though, so if you, I mean, any any sort of situation we're talking about outside of hydrogen being produced in a local level, I mean, what do you think is the best solution in terms of minimizing transportation costs for, you know, tankers and rail and, and well, even for, you know, airplane tra transport, what would you see as the ideal solution for those? I think for aircraft, uh, where we're headed uh, in the relatively near term is algae. Uh, there are already uh, air flights uh, being undertaken by the Navy and the Air Force based on algae-generated uh, uh, biofuels uh, and uh, 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 aviation fuel from algae. And I think that's uh, really uh, extremely promising. Uh, and I think that uh, generation of, uh, of electricity um, from various sources is extremely promising for relatively short-haul um, uh, vehicles, like delivery vehicles and vehicles that will refuel at a central facility at, uh, at night. Uh, I, I, I think for long-haul vehicles, uh, the best way to use uh, natural gas these days is to use it to produce methanol. And there's a new big MIT study out that, that makes that case in great detail. Interesting. Which, which companies do you see being the most progressive and being at the forefront of that? I'm not sure. I mean, I mainly pay attention to technologies uh, rather than individual uh, uh, companies. But I, I gotta say that uh, that I think that the companies that will focus on uh, cheap uh, production of methanol in the future are likely to be very much at the cutting edge of uh, of where things can go. Do we need oil to really start spiking towards higher prices again before you we see some movement back? No, I mean, uh, oil is uh, um, is the problem. And, and we don't solve the problem by producing oil in the United States. Uh, OPEC uh, produces oil for a few dollars a barrel, and they sell it for 100. Uh, and they have uh, the vast majority of the world's reserves. So they're going to set the price. As long as we are hooked on, they're going to set the price. And we have to get away from oil, period. We have to do to oil what, uh, with technology such as electricity and biofuels, um, what uh, was done uh, uh, back in, uh, in uh, the beginning of the 20th century 
what was uh, done uh, uh, by uh, by uh, moving toward electricity to freeze and cool food to um, uh, to uh, re replace uh, uh, the, the 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 use uh, of. Uh, uh, other uh, other technologies uh, like like salt. I mean, salt was uh, was hugely important until the 1880s or 1890s. It was the only way to preserve uh, meat, and until the early 19th century, the only way to preserve food. Uh, but but with the coming of uh, the electric grids in the 1880s and 1890s. People got away from using salt, and salt became boring. Uh, you still use it for all sorts of purposes, but nobody, it's not a strategic commodity anymore. It doesn't control a key part of our existence. Uh, nobody really gives a damn where salt comes from or, or anything else. It's just a commodity. That's what we want to do to oil. We want, as my friend Annie Corrin says, we want to turn oil into salt. We want to destroy oil's strategic position, and everything we do ought to be concentrated on destroying oil's strategic role. Where you know, you, that's that's a really interesting point because um, I know that like salt is very much like the family that makes that um, powdered mustard that everybody in England eats, which apparently the family knows full well that. You know, nobody eats most of the mustard they put on their plate, right? And they yeah. actually make more money out of what they're wasting, and nobody notices because they just wash yeah. it down yeah. the garbage disposal. Right. Well, look, we, we, we people have used salt in all sorts of ways, including that, ever since the 1880s. But beginning uh, with the coming of the electric grids and the fact that you didn't need salt in order to preserve meat, uh, because you had refrigeration and freezing, salt became boring. That's what you want to do to oil. It's not that you're going to destroy it. You want to make it boring. Absolutely. Well, you, my friend, are a rock star, as always, and thank you so much for coming on. I know you had a, a limited amount of time, so I don't want to take advantage, and you're certainly welcome to stay on and chat as long as you want, but you are um, a wealth of information, as always. Well, and we appreciate it's great to talk. Great to talk to you and to the folks who called in, and I really appreciate the chance to do that. And, Chelsea, I'd be delighted to do it again sometime in the future. Oh, uh, we'll make that happen. And, and sounds like we'd love to have you. Inspiring to do in the meantime. Oh, okay. Thank you, sir. Thanks a lot. Thank you. If you uh, guys, you know, we are so grateful to have Jim Woolsey. I mean, what a fascinating guest. He definitely gives a different side to um, the anti-oil industry, right? This guy is not your typical, like, tree hugger, obviously, right, Chelsea? <laughs> well, absolutely. Although I do really like trees. Uh, I like trees, you know, too. Uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody said, Wolsey, you're kind of a hawk. Uh, what are you doing being a tree hugger? I said, hey, hawks have to have a place to nest, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we love it because it really does give us a, a full sort of perspective on the industry. And I think it gives a lot of the car people that are typically, you know, I just want to do a burnout in my car, like a totally different view on what's uh, going on in technology and um, the people that are behind it. And I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks a lot. Great to be with you. Thank you. Bye -bye. Good night. Good night. Good night.
<laughs> so everybody, I hope you liked John Woolsey. I thought that was awesome. I mean, Jim Woolsey, that was awesome. Chelsea, thank you so much for bringing him on. That was like the most last minute, biggest surprise sort of really fun thing to do. And he is definitely fascinating. I think everybody loved it in the chat room for sure. And I'm sure that our podcast will love it too, which is bit.ly. What is it? bit.ly forward slash open podcast. I always say the dot com and then get started. Like this show? There's a whole lot more where this came from. Just join us on the first Tuesday of every month between 8 p.m. and 12 a.m. Eastern Time and dial 1-712-432-0900 with PIN 911-633. Get even more info about this and many other automotive programs at AutolineDetroit.tv. Follow me, Michelle Naranjo, at twitter.com slash MissMotormouth or Chelsea Sexton at twitter.com slash EVShells. Until next time, happy motoring. Please hang up now. If you need assistance, dial your operator. This is a recording.